Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. I just had a conversation with another mom about her feeling guilty for making time for herself, time that didn't involve taking care of a littler person or worrying about her family's needs. I've been there. In fact, many days I'm still there. I feel guilty anytime I ask for time to go get my nails done or go for a walk, heck, even to take a shower because my first priority is to care for everyone else, right? At some point, I have to eat right, exercise, focus on my goals or hobbies, and somewhere in there, I'm supposed to be a good Catholic. It's like there aren't enough hours in the day. More often than not, I find myself failing at one, most of the times more than one, of those things. Sometimes I end up sacrificing my prayer time or growing in my faith to make sure that I meet everyone's basic needs. And I feel guilty for it. There's a ton of jokes surrounding the guilt Catholics burden themselves with. We feel like we have to meet a certain set of standards and be perfect at everything in order to gain admittance to heaven, to be considered good enough. Conversely, there's a large push in the secular world to stop judging ourselves so harshly that we are enough. So which one is it? Father Sawicki joins me to help us unpack these notions of guilt how they specifically apply to our faith, and how comparison is the thief of joy. Father Swicky, thank you so much for coming back to Canon Catholic Convos. It's always a joy to have you here. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for the invitation. So today I want to talk about Catholic guilt. I think we've all heard or seen someone make a joke about Catholic guilt at one point or another. So can you talk to me a little bit about what is Catholic guilt and what's the difference between it and actual guilt? Like, how can how can we tell the difference in our own lives? Sure. Now, first off, I think you're understating the fact. I think entire movies have been made about Catholic guilt. Yes. And, and I think a lot of hay has been made about Catholic guilt. And on one hand, there's a reality. And so I'm about to turn 40, okay? I, I like to remind people that I went to school with, like, listen, we didn't get what our parents or grandparents got in the presentation of the faith. And this is very difficult when we have intergenerational dialogues. So, you know, going to Catholic school from, and I Catholic school educated from kindergarten through 12th grade plus um, eight years of seminary. So, I mean, it's Catholic school education. And there were sisters, religious teaching sisters, who were present at various stages of both grade school and high school. There was always a religious sister present. And people say, you can't scare me. I was taught by nuns and I got Catholic guilt. And I'm thinking, buddy, you're not even like 40 yet. <laughs> like that, that, that train left the station a long time ago. My parents, on the other hand, 
you know, in the way that especially like my dad went to Catholic school in the 50s through this in graduated high school in 64, they had a different presentation of the faith. So I think that it's important to know even like generationally, what are you referencing with Catholic guilt? Mm. Because on one hand, there's conscience. There's the realization, I've just committed a sin. I've just done something that was wrong. I knew was wrong and did it anyway. And I got to go to confession. You know, this is like the, the criteria of a mortal sin, a sin which kind of disrupts your friendship with our loving father. And that's when there's a grave thing. We know it is. We, we fully are aware of what we're doing. And we did it anyway. And, and we did it because it was more convenient. It was expeditious. It, you know, helped us through a problem very quickly, whether it was a lie or whether it was a juicy piece of gossip, which we threw a coworker uh, under the bus to the boss. So that way we looked better and he or she looked worse. And then we realized, wow, I really screwed up. That's not bad. That's good. That's called conscience, that we're aware that we're capable of building up and we're also capable of tearing down. What does Jesus ask us to do? He asks us to build each other up. He asks us to reflect his goodness and love to the least ones. So I think that that's where you have that understanding of, of conscience. Now, in older generations, if there's you know older listeners of this, when it was a very moralistic way of presenting the faith, for instance, you have people... Um, they were in Boy Scouts, and they went on a camping trip. And what do you cook when you're on a camping trip? Hamburgs, hot dogs. And the camping trip began on a Friday, and you know you, f you cook up the fire, and you eat, and then you realize, oh my gosh, I just ate a hot dog on Friday, and it's the, even outside of Lent. And then people are in anguish. I'm, I feel like I'm going to go to hell because they told us if we commit this, it's an absolute sin. Well, you failed to plan. Yeah, it's really hard to pack fish sticks on a camping trip peanut butter and jelly works a lot better. Okay, it doesn't really get soggy. And you didn't even think that it was a Friday. You, you know, but in the olden days where it was really black and white, a presentation of faith, so people really did get this notion of, of the unhealthy guilt, this kind of nagging thing that everything was a sin. And, and that's where you get in, in those days. And, and some of our older priests, a lot of our priests who commented this to me when I was a younger priest, have now gone to their eternal reward. They said it was very hard when people had a thing called scrupulosity. Scrupulosity is, if you think about it, it's like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder in the spiritual realm. Mm. That literally, it, it, they were so obsessive about every imperfection, they were running to confession um, basically every day because they thought they were committing mortal sins and they didn't want to go to the, the eternal fires of H-E double hockey stick. You know, so th there's these notions of Catholic guilt that go around. So, again, there's conscience, and we have to form conscience. We have to constantly inform conscience, and we do this through prayer. We do this attendance at Mass, and hopefully a priest or a deacon is giving a good instructive homily, understanding how to make a moral decision, our own study. You know, we should all have a catechism. We should have, definitely have the scriptures in, in our home. And it's great to have a catechism. Here's the thing, though. 
You don't even have to have a book anymore. It's out there on the, it's, it's on your phone. Right. You know, it's podcasts. free apps. Yep. You come to Catholic Canada Catholic Convos <laughs> and, and you learn. But these are all ways of helping form conscience to realize what is a sin, what isn't a sin. What am I able to do? You know, the church doesn't hold us to do the impossible. Okay. And so these are the the things that we I think we sort through a little bit better a little bit more thoroughly now than we did, where in the olden days, it was a lot easier. If you do this, it's a sin. People come up, Father, is it a sin if I dot, dot, dot? And I say, well, did you know what you were doing? It's grave matter. Did you have a choice in that? Father, I, I missed Mass last Sunday, and I, I, it's a mortal sin. Where were you last Sunday? Um, well, I was at my cabin in Sullivan County, and I said, well, what happened on Saturday night? Oh, there was a snowstorm and 20, 20 inches of snow dropped. I said, so it was impossible for you to get to church. Well, yes. Did did you say, like, Lord, I'm sorry, I can't make it to Mass? I mean, it's impossible to get to Mass in Sullivan County when there's 20 inches of snow on the ground. But there was that thing. People don't, and I'm not saying nuance. I'm not saying mitigating factors like, you know, moral relativism. But really what it's... Sometimes it's not a question of yes or no. It's like, well, what's what's surrounding the moral question at hand? So again, there's in 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 the way that I think the the church has been presenting the faith in the last forty to fifty years. There's definitely the attention to a, a renewed sense of moral theology, especially the John Paul, Saint, Pope Saint John Paul II when he clearly taught and very taught to Splendor as encyclical from the 1990s, there are objective moral truths. The next step is how do we aspire to them? How do we try to live those virtues in our own lives, being aware that we're weak and imperfect? So as opposed to my parents' generation where if you were not perfect right away, you better watch out, okay, versus well, God loves me no matter what, so therefore it doesn't really matter what I do or don't do. Those are two unhealthy extremes, and I think the, the the splendor of the truth is, you know, we know what is right and wrong, and, and to put our, not to be not to be punny here, to put our conscience at ease, we have to have a healthy realization, what am I able to do? So again, there's different kinds of Catholic guilt. There's stuff that I think doesn't exist anymore, especially among younger ones, younger people. Um, and I think that it's good to have a well-formed conscience and the realization there are times there's things that I'm called to do and I don't do. There's things I shouldn't do and I do. It's kind of like what we say in the I confess at Mass for what I've done and what I fail to do. That involves being attentive in conscience Again, we shouldn't have scrupulosity. That's not healthy. Um, but the other extreme, which is who really cares? God loves me no matter what. He does, but we have to respond to that love in a healthy manner. I hope that makes sense, and I hope I didn't talk it to death. <laughs> no, it does. It's like it's. I, I picture it like a like a balancing act, and I wish I could remember. Who exactly said the quote? I think it was some author, but she talked about it's like like juggling and you have to know which balls are glass and which balls are plastic and like which ones can fall to the oh. ground and focusing on like, like you said, it can't, you can't 
drift too far to one side or the other because there have been times like personally where I'm like, if I want to get into heaven, do I have to be absolutely, do I have to do it exactly like this? But then on the same side, like God says, he loves me no matter what, if I go to confession and this, so it's, it's a fine, it's almost like a fine line of like, just like you said, that you have to grow your conscience and kind of figure out where that line is. By the way, this is one of the wisdoms that's offered in the sacrament of confession, because there are times that I, even as a priest, I go and I will say these things and the confessor will say, you're confessing that you, you did this, you're confessing it. Do you not realize that underlying the three things that you confessed is this other unhealthy attitude? And then typically as a priest, because again, when you go to confession, you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been a month since my last confession. I'm a priest. These are my sins. Okay, so you identify your state of life. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the other priest confessor is going to hear like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, because you're not just going to look for the whack-a-mole of the sin, but you're playing whack-a-mole, hitting that thing back into the hole. It's like, well, what's causing these other th- things to pop up? Mm. Again, it's not to make us a neurotic basket case. It's to help us understand what really needs to convert in our life. Mm, the root cause. The yeah. root cause. It could be you're you're so darn busy, you don't have time to do things. Or you're so darn stressed out, you end up responding to situations in an unhealthy way. And... That, that's one of the wisdoms of auricular confession, going, you know, going to the box on Saturday afternoon or, you know, at the cathedral Monday, Tuesday, Friday afternoons, you know, and to be able to get that. And, and sometimes, I guess, here's the other thing. Sometimes you go to confession to assuage that conscience. You go to that confession and the priest will just look at you and say, or say through the screen, you know, it's a good confession for your penance, say the Hail Mary three times. Meaning, you know what you know what you're doing. You know how you failed. You know how you missed the mark. You know how you sinned. Offer this penance. Make make penance a lifetime practice. Really, what we should all be doing. But also, there's those times that we get the good counsel, and it really puts the train back on the track. And we're like, oh, I really was more derailed than I thought. Mm. And because because we're able to get that other piece of counsel. Um, to be able to understand how other things are perhaps impacting us. I like that. That's a good, that's a good way to think about it. And I like what you said about when you go in and you kind of state your, where you're at in life. Um, Cause you know, this is true for me and I'm sure it's true for a lot of other listeners, but personally I'm at a time in my life right now where I'm spending a lot of time caring for others, you know, my spouse, small children, my aging parents, and there's a lot of places in my life where I feel like like I fall short. Prayer is unfortunately one of those areas. And like most cradle Catholics, I was raised to believe that if you didn't do certain things, like if you didn't pray the rosary the exact right way or this, you know, that if you didn't pray like St. Pope John Paul the Great prayed or Mother Teresa or any of the other saints or like the even just the Catholics that I see on Instagram, they just seem so perfect, that I wasn't good enough that I wasn't good enough to get to heaven. And now there's this big movement of, especially for people who struggle with mental illness, that mm. like, you are good enough. But are we good enough for heaven? You really have to put things in context. And and I think that that's what daily prayer does is put things in context. If you're frustrated taking care of your elderly parents, or it's like, do I have to change one more diaper this week 
I've never had to do that. Okay, it is not fun. I, 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 I've been told I got I have nieces and a nephew, and thank God they're all grown. But um, there's a reality there. But put it in context, because for the couple of years that you'll be changing the diapers, wait and like sometimes I I've said to parents in confession. So you're really upset that your 12 year old is really acting like a snot. Yes, Father. I said, well. You want the good news. Well, what's the good news? Well, you don't have to change diapers. You want the bad news? What's that? It's only 12 and he's not even a teenager yet. So brace yourself. But then the kid's going to be 18, 19, have it all together. They went through their snottiness. And then the parents are like, oh my gosh, the kids are out of the house. What am I going to do next? That's right. You're going to have another 35, 40 years of life as someone with a lot of guest rooms in your house or you're going to downsize. And I think that prayer puts these types of struggles in context, okay? Going back to the principle, God doesn't call us to do the impossible. And I think, and I, I love recommending as vocation director, I've recommended the introduction to the devout life by St. Francis de Sales to a lot of people. And that's one of those seminal readings for the spiritual life. Francis de Sales probably was a beekeeper, and he was a great writer. He was a, he, he communicated to his diocese through letters because it was illegal for him to actually go into his territory as a bishop. Mm-hmm. It was strange times back in uh, the 16th, 17th centuries. Francis de Sales kind of summarized, the pauper has to pray like a pauper and not like a prince. The prince has to pray as a prince and not as a pauper because all of society depends upon the prince growing in holiness as prince. If the prince is just saying, oh, I want to be a pauper and, and give up all these things, then you're going to have an in, unstable society. I can't, as a diocesan priest, play, pray like a Benedictine monk. If I did, I wouldn't get my work done. Right. Okay. Benedictine monks have that special call to pray in community. And that's why they have monasteries with the tolling of bells and everything else is built around the monastic schedule. I can't pray like a monk. I'm not a monk. I wasn't called to be a monk. I'm a diocesan priest. And I've had a priest who was once a high school, a full-time high school professor say to me, I can never do what you do. He said, I love being a priest. I can't rearrange my schedule for people. It drives me crazy. And he was a very type A personality. And, and he was a high school professor priest. And so you you have to find, how how is it that you're able to pray? How is it that when you're changing those diapers, when you're mixing the formula, when you're going off, uh, and, and I think of my own parents, you know, my, my parents are wonderful parents, they're excellent Catholics, they're very practical. My dad, that was the last of five kids, my dad had to be out of the door oftentimes by quarter after six in the morning to be at work. He was a civil engineer in charge of a power plant, and he got home tired, but still he managed to balance the checkbooks for the Cub Scout pack in town as well as being the treasurer of the American Legion Post to give of himself and for the good of the whole, of, of families and of veterans, okay? So did he have to die to himself? There's times that, like, as a priest, you wish that you could do whatever you want to do and say to heck with it and, you know, pretend to live a playboy lifestyle. But there's where your Catholic conscience comes in. Well, if I did that, 
which is totally self-serving. It feels great, you know? I mean, that's why, you know, we, you, we do go on vacation. We're supposed to take time for ourselves. But if that's all I ever did, and then what, what happens to the people of God not being served through the sacraments? What about your husband or your wife? And are they being supported? There was, there was a time, there was a very devout Catholic husband who told his wife, you got to go talk to Father Sawicki. And I said, no, so what's, what's, the, what's the situation? Well, my husband's really, I'm really uh, frustrated. I'm exhausted. My husband's telling, told me that I'm frustrated and exhausted because I'm not making my daily Eucharistic Holy Hour in church anymore. So, well, what's your family? What's going on at home? Well, I have two or three toddlers, and you know he's doing his work, and I am. The the person said to me, I am, you know, at home and between laundry and cooking and preparing lunch for him to take and taking care of the kids. I can't make it to church. How do you? Like I said to her, like you you have to grow in holiness, change in the diapers. You have to see the 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 beauty and the power of God in the life that you brought into the world and grow holy that way. You can't pray like a Carmelite nun because you got kids at home. God doesn't call us to do what's impossible in our state of life. Now, what happens for the older folks? I remember interviewing in seminary one of our retired priests. He's now dead. And he talked about how at one time he wanted to be a Benedictine monk. And he tried the monastery. It didn't work. He was a diocesan priest. But in the retirement residence, he came to realize that he could pray and he set up his own kind of rule of life to pray and to study like he would have in the monastery that he couldn't do because of all those years as an active diocesan priest, as a pastor, and, and as, a, as a school principal. These are some of the ministries he had within the diocese. And he, he realized in, in his old age, in his retirement, he was able to do that which he sort of wanted to do as a young person, but never had the opportunity to do. So again, it's living in the moment, that that spirituality of Francis de Sales, we have to pray according to our state of life. One of our deceased priests was a, I was very friendly with Monsignor uh, Reno Fregapani. And one time I was driving, he was, I was ordained in 2009. He was ordained in 51. So you do the math of, of the age difference that we were. And, and he said, Father Jonathan, he was from Sicily. He said, Father Jonathan, remember, the saints are all to be admired, not necessarily imitated. Mm. I can't imitate the life of John of the Cross. I can't imitate Maximilian Kolbe. Now, this is why the church has lifted up John Vianney as a parish priest. But even then, I mean, ours, the, the little town of ours had a couple hundred people. I mean, I have a couple hundred families. So you have to, I have to admire these saints. I can't imitate them. It's, it's, because it's impossible to imitate them. Right. I can't live like they did, you know? So, um, Francis of Assisi, you know? When people say, oh, you know, they walked everywhere. What? We're in the United States. We don't, you know, you, you, you got to be able to drive. You got to have health insurance. Well, Francis of Assisi, Francis of Assisi did not live in 21st century central Pennsylvania. He lived in 13th century Italy. And, but there's that spirituality, his spirituality, which informs the Franciscans of today. So, God doesn't call us, again, putting the conscience at ease, God doesn't call us to do the impossible. But in our conscience, we know what is possible. Mm. And we have to act on it when God gives us the grace of, of awareness.
I love that. And I think that that, that is such a powerful statement that um, they're to be admired, not necessarily imitated. And uh, when you said about a death to self, um, when I first became a mom, that's what I felt like, like it was just all consuming. And I felt like the parts of me that I, that enjoyed watching movies or writing or reading, like I was going to have to give all of that up because I wanted to be a mom. And I'm like, well, I can't have both. And now I'm at a point in my life where my oldest son is, he's seven. So he's like square in between being a kid and being a teenager, which I find just a fascinating age. And now I'm like, oh, I have a little bit more time to like do the things that I liked to do. I have a little bit more time to go back to reading or doing whatever. And I've taken some of the chores that are like necessary, like doing the dishes and doing like I hate doing the laundry. There's so much laundry in my house, but I use that time. I like try to, um, I learned about offering it up. Mm -hmm. Um, so if, if I'm doing the laundry, I, I, you know, say a prayer that like, okay, at least I have clothes that I can wear, or I'm doing this because one of my friends who has cancer can't wash their own clothes right now. So it's finding those, those little moments, those little opportunities. Um, and I'm not going to be changing diapers forever, but then one day I'm going to miss it. Like I hated being pregnant my last time being pregnant. I was just so done. But then this morning I found a picture of my pregnant belly and I was like, oh, I miss it. Like it's, it's one of those things of, it's not like, it's not going to be like this forever. It's not going to be like this forever. So also going to not being like this forever. Um, some of us at some point in our lives struggle with worth, um, especially those who struggle with depression and mental illness, they might believe the lie that we're not worthy of love or of life. And at times when I was at my darkest, personally, I struggled really badly with postpartum depression. And my mom, God love her, would tell me, you know, well, God loves you, even if you don't love yourself. It just, it didn't feel real. It felt like, it felt like I was being placated to, and it just felt very far away and very lonely. So are we worthy of God's love if we're not perfect Catholics? Or is that something that we just tell kids? So in our Catholic churches, typically at the center, somehow in the center of every one of our churches, whether on the altar or near the altar or above the altar, is a crucifix. Not just an empty cross, but a crucifix. That's not meant to terrify people. That's not meant to be um, a, a, a point of fear. And it was once used, look at, look at what your sins cost Jesus, you know, and that's, again, the bad Catholic guilt that older generations were raised with. It's not really healthy. We're supposed to look upon that crucifix, and the crucifix is the cross with the image of the crucified Lord in humility. This is how much God loves us. This is not meant to terrify us. This is meant to console us. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos, or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.